Hey, everybody, it's Rob Shearer, the host of Fostering Change. Today is the first in our Best of series, and we're going all the way back to the season premiere that aired actually on September the 14th of 2022. You know, I was absolutely thrilled that to have my friend, Olympic gold medalist Greg Luganis on the show. You know, he shared stories about his childhood. He shared stories about his Olympic feats, his love of dogs, and so, so much more. So I truly hope you enjoy the best of. Well, you know what? It is so hard to believe that we are actually here. You know, four seasons. I remember the very first podcast I did, I was like, what in the world am I doing? And now we are on our fourth season. We have won so many awards, thanks to my amazing producers at Fostering Change. But you know what? Today is November 1st. And you know what that means in my heart? Today is actually the start of National Adoption Awareness Month. That's right. Right. National Adoption Awareness Month. You know, I think every single month we should be celebrating people who are adopted, kids who are in foster care. Do you realize that in this month of November, we will see more children adopted out of our foster care system than any other month? And this also happens to be the month that my husband and I adopted two of our five kids. So it's a special month for us. But you know what? It's even more special because of my next guest. Um, was in awe, still am, when I was told that he was actually going to be on Fostering Change. When my producer came and said, you're not going to believe who the guest is. Are you ready for this? And I said, okay, who is it? And they said, Greg. Luganus. That's right. Greg Luganus. You know, Greg has been such an inspiration for me, you know, not only as a good human, but as a gay man as well. And so I was fortunate enough, my husband and I and our children to meet Greg many years ago, and I'm so happy that he is back. So Greg, welcome to Fostering Change. Thank you. It's so great to be here. And it's you so know, great to see you again. It is so good to see you again. Yeah. Greg, you know, I know everybody knows, you know, the, and whether you realize this or not, you are a legend among yourself. Okay. You truly are. I mean, I remember, you know, back in um, September watching the Emmys, which you were there, you know, by the way, great jacket pick that you picked. Oh, thank um, you. Thank you. Didn't think I remember that one. Great wow. jacket pick. But but I also know the fact that, you know, I just want to start talking immediately about I grew up, you know, I'm 55 years old. I grew up watching the Olympics, seeing you perform and seeing you have your entire life in the media. Um, I really want to know, and I know our listeners and viewers want to know, what was that like? It was really, really strange because, okay, so my first Olympics was in 1976 in Montreal. I was 16. And so I thought, I mean, I was doing this diving thing and I was like, who's going to sit at home on a weekend and watch this stuff? You know, I didn't think it was weird. I, I just didn't think anybody was watching. And so I remember we were on our way back home and we were making a transfer in Chicago and, you know, people were like staring at me, you know, I'm thinking, oh my God, is my fly down? Is like, <laughs> it was like really weird. And then this one gentleman, kind of an older businessman, he just kept staring at me and I, I turned to my mom and I said, 
do I know this person? He said, no, he probably saw you on TV, on the Olympics. I said, oh, people watch that? I just had no clue. I mean, I really didn't have any clue. Wow. And it was just, it was just odd. That is so unbelievably humbling, by the way, that here you were in the Olympics, you know, on all over the world. I mean, everybody. And you were just like, people really watch that. It's like, let me tell you something. As a family, we sit in front of the TV set and we still to this day love, love, love watching the Olympics. But, you know, one thing that I did not know for many years about you is that you actually were adopted. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I was I, I was adopted when I was nine months old. I was in foster care. I went right into once I was born, I was uh, in, in foster care. And it was really fascinating because I, I went to a, a gay pride parade in San Diego with my mom. And it was just, you know, it, you know, it was interesting because when I was there, this young man came up to me and said, you know, I was your, I I called you Timmy and you were my foster brother. And so I was like, yeah. And and he said, you know, my mom's really shy and I just wanted to reach out and introduce you. So I, I, I met the woman who, who fostered me and it was so sweet. I mean, it was so wonderful. And he was, he was funny. He said, I knew you as Timmy. And it, it was like, oh, it, it was, it was really cool because I don't remember. Right. You know, because I was, I was adopted when I was nine months old. So I don't remember that. But to be introduced to the woman who fostered me, it was just really amazing. It was really, really sweet. You know, all five of my children all were adopted out of foster care. And my youngest actually came to us at the age of six months. So, you know, for him, he's always known of having two dads and and being raised with two dads. But, you know, one of the things that really took me back, which, you know, I think people don't realize this, is that, you know, even from the shade of people's skin, there's such a stigma of being bullied. And so, and I've read, you know, in your book that, you know, you also had this exact same issue. And I think about my son, who's light skin, where, you know, he also have had people who are bullied. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, where I grew up in El Cajon, it was, you know, predominantly Caucasian. And, and also in 1960, everybody wanted blonde hair, blue eyed babies, you know? And so I was really, really fortunate because my father is Greek and my mother's Scotch-Irish, and my mother wanted kids with a darker complexion, dark hair. And thank God, you know, because, you know, that's, that's how I was chosen. Right, right. And so it was just really, I mean, the, the opportunities that it gave me uh, were just incredible. Have you had any desire or have you contacted your birth parents whatsoever? Yes, I have. Oh my God. That's a whole nother story. You know, it's okay. So after the 1984 Olympic games, right. I was, I was in Hawaii. I was doing an appearance for Speedo and my host says, Greg, your father's here. 
I said, oh, my father's not in Hawaii. That's crazy. You know, he would have told me if he was coming to Hawaii. I said, no, 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 your biological father. I'm like, oh, and he wanted to meet me. And so I, I met Fuvali, my biological father, and his family, his wife, Jerry, and then uh, my half siblings, Malcolm and Sherilyn and Gerilyn. And, you know, I wasn't sure because it was right after the Olympic Games. And I thought, a little skeptical, not too sure. But through the years, he was always there. He would uh, make sure that I was when he when I was leaving, that he'd bring me pineapples, chocolate covered macadamia nuts, coffee, all the things from the island to bring home. And he never asked for anything. And so years went by and he would always be there. And I thought, you know what, this guy, I'll bet you he is my dad. And so when we had a screening of Back on Board in Hawaii, he showed up and he was there with my sister. And I I heard that they were having a Lutu, his last name is Lutu. And they were having a Lutu family reunion the following year. And so I reached out to my half-brother. I said, Malcolm, wait, do you think it'd be okay if I came to the reunion? And, and he said, oh my God, Greg, that would be so awesome because now we could talk openly about you and our connection. And so I went to the, I, I wanted to make sure. So I did the Ancestry.com DNA. Okay. And then I reached out to leaves on my family tree and said, okay, this is my story. And I just want to verify that Fuvale Lutu is in fact my, my biological father. And they wrote back, said, oh yeah, we're cousins. We're, this is how we're related and all that. And yes, he is my father. And it was, it was so cool. I mean, I kind of knew in my heart, right, you know, just right. through the years. And it's just been amazing to kind of get to know them and, you know, and share with my brother. I've, you know, spent Christmases in Hawaii and stayed with my brother and sister-in-law. And it's just been amazing. The one thing that I wasn't expecting was on Ancestry.com, somebody reached out to me and said, look, I know who you are and you came up as a leaf on our family tree. And we don't know how. The only thing that we can think of is that you might be my aunt's son. And so then she had a conversation with her aunt and she said, okay, if you were conceived in Midway, born in San Diego, and your father's name is Fuvali Lutu, she's my mom. So I found my mom too. And we, you know, she wanted to meet me. And so I went and Thanksgiving, we, I, I went up to, to her sister's and we had Thanksgiving dinner. So, and it, wait a minute, wait really, a minute. So the very first time that you're meeting your biological mother is at a family Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it was a small gathering. It was right, just but still, my, it's like, it, yeah, it was just my cousin, my aunt and, uh, and my mom. And I was there with my husband. And so, yeah, it was, it was really interesting. She had, okay. So on my father's side, my biological father's side, I have a brother and two sisters on my biological mother's side. I have a brother and a sister. And the fascinating thing is that John, Cindy's son, 
they grew up in El Cajon. So our paths had to have crossed. Had to. Yeah. That is so amazing. And then Malcolm, my brother on my dad's side, he grew up in Hawaii, totally immersed in the whole Polynesian culture. And it's interesting to me because I was raised in the Greek church. I was raised Greek. So I know the Greek traditions, the Greek cooking, the cuisine, and, uh, you know, big thing was Easter and, and all that. And I, I would, I would dance, uh, I would be a part of the Greek festivals and do the Greek dancing and, and, and all that. So now learning about this whole nother culture that I am connected to, you know, has really been fascinating, you know, and, and then, you know, my, my brother on my mother's side, I mean, I, our paths had to have crossed. I mean, El Cajon is really small. Right, right, right. So, so, so I have to ask before we take a break, but how were your, how were your adopted parents feeling as you were starting these connections? Well, it, it was interesting because when Fuvali introduced himself after the 84 Olympic Games, I had a conversation with my mom and I said, how do you feel about that? She said she didn't have any concerns about me being meeting my father. Her concern was if my mother showed up because that I may have felt more like a threat to her or, you know, she she shared with me she was concerned that my biological mother might be very needy. And actually, she was she she was pretty right on. Your um, she was, mom was right on on that one. Yeah, yeah. Because Cindy's like, oh, you know, wants to, me to call every day, and all, and it's like, uh, no, 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 no. That's not. I I didn't even call my you know own family every day. So yeah, just a very very different life. Wow. Wow. Well, listen, everybody, it has been such an amazing first part of this. You know, Greg has two books out, both of them, which are sitting here on my favorite bookshelves. Um, Greg, I have to tell you, I am just in awe about you. There's so much more we're going to talk about in the second half, but listen up, everyone. Um, Season four has kicked off and it's kicked off like I always love talking with good friends, really learning because each and every one of us has a story. And when we tell that story, story, we never, never, ever know how it will impact someone. We'll be right back. This episode of Fostering Change is sponsored by Comfort Cases, a national nonprofit that inspires our communities to bring hope and dignity to our youth that are in foster care. For just $10 a month, you can support the Comfort Case mission and help us eliminate trash bags for kids who are entering foster care. For every $10 that you give, Comfort Cases will give a Comfort XL to a child entering the system. Be part of the change. Visit comfortcases.org. Well, you know what? I am so, so excited about season four. You know, it's so crazy because each time that the season is getting ready to end, I tell my producer, you know, I think this is it. And sure enough, we do another season. And sure enough, we have some of the most amazing guests. You know, I 
I know I'm a little starstruck and all of you know me and you've, you've watched me over the years on social media in the last four season that, you know, it's very hard for Rob to get starstruck, but I am so starstruck with my guest, Greg Luganis. You know, Greg, I have grown up with you. I have watched your diving every single year. I have stalked you on social media. <laughs> I have been just so, just so in awe about how you have lived your life so openly in front of a camera and you know let's you know and and I know there's some things that people have been wanting me to ask you and I just want to go ahead and and ask you know in in today's climate you know for me as a gay man I'm married we have five children and so many things have happened within our country this year and you know as I have had friends who have gone from being HIV positive to where it's barely detected you know, barely yeah. detected for you to have come out and, and being so positive about, you know, your diagnosis. How mm. do you feel about that now? Well, you know, it was, it was interesting because that whole, no matter what it is, if it's HIV, your sexual identity, what, you know, whatever that is, you know, it's a process that coming out process. It really is a journey. And um, it was interesting because I was doing the play Jeffrey in New York and I played Darius. It's all about gay dating in the nineties with HIV and, and all that. And it's a comedy by, by Paul Rudnick. And so the character that I played was Darius and each night, night after night in performing, I was able to face my fantasies as well as my greatest fears because Darius is a chorus boy with an eighth grade education, lives in a, in a penthouse, doesn't pay rent. He's out and proud at gay pride marches, but he also dies of complications with HIV AIDS. And so I was able to face that. Nobody knew about my HIV status at that time. And so I was living that. And I knew that my next step for my own personal development and growth was to come out about my HIV status because I felt like I was living on an island with barely a phone for communication to the outside world because that's what secrets do to you. They isolate you. And so I, I knew that I, in my heart, that I wasn't the only one. And so I, you know, not only for myself, but I wanted to do it for others as well. And so, you know, that's kind of how breaking the surface happened. And I uh, was in introduced to Eric Marcus, my co-author, uh, by a very dear friend, Robbie Brown. And we just connected and it was, you know, it was great. Eric was like, okay, what, what was, of course, everybody asked because of my hitting my head on the springboard yeah. at the 88 Olympic games. I said, well, what was going on through your head when you hit your head on the board? And so I turned to Eric, I said, okay, turn the tape recorder off. And um, I said, I, I was, I, I was afraid. I was afraid because I knew my HIV status. And then he started crying, I started crying. And then, and then he said, well, were you on any type of treatment? And I said, oh yeah, they wanted to treat me very aggressively. So they put me on AZT right away. Wow. 
And he just started sobbing. And I didn't understand it because I didn't have anybody to talk to about my medications, about, you know, reactions or, or, or whatever. And he was just sobbing. And when he calmed down, I said, why did you react that way? And he said, Greg, you don't, you don't know, you don't know what, what you did. I said, you were on AZT and you won two Olympic gold medals. Two, two. And, and. I was like, oh, so AZT is not a performance enhancing drug, right? <laughs> so, you know, but far from it, it's a chemotherapy. Yeah. You know? So to be able to do that. And then when I look back on that whole journey with the training and I was like training so hard because the Chinese had caught up to me and I knew I was holding on by the skin of my teeth. And so I knew I had to be in the very best shape that I could possibly be in, but I was also on this medication and AZT at that time was prescribed two pills every four hours around the clock. Right. And so I'm getting up in the middle of the night, the middle of the morning, it was just a pain in the butt to take, but I didn't realize how depleting, you know, that the AZT was. Yeah, and I mean, I tell you, I, I grew thing. up in that age and yeah. lost many, many friends, new friends yeah. who were on AZT. And by the way, for those of you who watch Pose, I, I know that we do. That has opened up so many lights of, you know, what people went through. And, and I have to tell you, I have the same reaction as your friend. I yeah. did, you know, not, you know, and for those who have not, you know, you know, breaking the surface, this book is such an amazing book, because the thing that really got me surprised me is that you were on AZT, knowing what that drug does to your body, and you go and you win not one, but two Olympic medals. I mean, that, that is just... That shows me the resilience that you are, that you have within you, Greg. I, I'm telling you, I'm just, and, and now, you know, the new thing is, is um, you're, you're doing some RV life right now. You got to tell me <laughs> about this because I can't even get my kids to go in an RV. I want to oh know my what the heck you're doing. <laughs> Actually having an RV, it's a luxury, you know? What? Okay. So I, I compete in dog agility. You know, I, years ago when I was, I had another partner, Daniel, and we had this huge RV and we'd load all the dogs and we'd travel all over the country hitting dog agility trials all over. And so right now I'm looking to get another RV. I think I've landed on what I want. It's, uh, you know, it, I, it, the floor plan and all that just, you know, just really works. And so, you know, it's going to the agility trials. You can travel with your dogs. Dog agility is an obstacle course. Right, right. And so it's jump tunnels, weave poles, dog walk teeter, A-frame are the obstacles. And it's usually a 16 to 24 obstacle course generally. And each course is different. And you kind of guide your dog through the course off leash it's a it's a timed event so right. it's it's all about speed and g my hungarian pumi he's really really talented so he just turned two and i was just at the super regionals up in northern california and he did really well he gave me some some good stuff uh 
you know, but he's on that journey. He's on right, that path. Right. Well, so. let me tell you something. He's adorable, everybody. I got to meet G during the commercial break. Those little ears popped up. I'm just <laughs> telling you that is, you know, I I love the fact that you are, you know, continuing your journey with things that you love to do. You are such a an an animal lover in general, you know, you do dogs throughout your entire career. You just have such a connection, but I, you know, knowing I've watched on TV, the trainers who've trained dogs who go these obstacle course. And that is hard because I've got three dogs and I'm lucky if they even come when I say, come here. <laughs> um, so that is really, really hard. You know, Greg, I have to tell you, I cannot thank you enough for being our guest on our fourth season. I can't oh, thank pleasure. you enough. You have done more for not only the fact, you know, I always tell people all the time, I'm a human before I am a gay man. So, but the right. fact is, is for what you have done for our LGBTQ brothers and sisters, for what you have done to to normalize, normalize mm -hmm. adoption, foster care, that not every story is heart-wrenching and break heartbreaking, that reunification, right. the story you just told about your dad, the reunification can be healthy and that people should be open. You know, I love that. Yeah. I mean, it can be, I, you know, and, and I'm, I'm still processing, right. You know, we're always processing. Yeah. But, you know, processing, what does family mean? And, you know, both my parents who raised me, they've passed. Dad passed in 91, mom passed in 04. And it was interesting because I, going through the divorce, you know, I'm divorced now. Right. And it was a beautiful divorce. It We're still good friends. We're wonderful, you know, wonderfully supportive of each other, you know, want the best for each other. It, it was just, it, you know, it's really, really good. But it was interesting because, you know, to do you like your, who is your beneficiary? And I was like, uh, you know, I was like in tears. I was like, I don't have anybody. And then I thought, I have a brother. <laughs> I have Malcolm and, you know, and then that relationship is, is growing and, and developing and I'm learning so much out. They made me a, a high chief, high chief Tamua Tamale, um, is my chief name, but they, they adopted me. Tamali Ifa Tamua is my chief name. And so, you know, it's just learning about a whole new culture, a whole new connection, DNA connection to family. So it's, it's really, really interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, it's your life book. It is your life yeah. book. And I yeah. think each and every one of us who've gone through adoption have dealt into foster care. You know, I love for you, it's a full circle moment to, to meet the boy who called you Timmy, um, yeah. to, to meeting your biological father and having this amazing relationship with your biological brother. You know, it is full circle for you. And yeah. I am so, so unbelievably honored that I get to actually say, I know Greg Luganis and I consider him one of the best humans. So listen, thank you so thank much for you. being on Fostering Change. Everybody, the book is Breaking the Circle. 
surface. It's still available. Love this book. Love that dive right there. And then yeah. also for the life of your dog, okay? For the life of your dog. And for those who know anything about the shears, we love our dogs. And we always yeah. remind people, if you come to our house and the dog is sitting on the couch, you better find another chair. So <laughs> with that, Greg, thank you so much. Um, it has been an amazing kickoff of season four. And I can't wait till you and I get to get together and have a nice cup of coffee or maybe even a cocktail. So, you know, <laughs> take care, everybody. Until well, next I'm week. sober. So it, so it, it'll, it'll, it'll be tea or sparkling water. Tea. I'm more than happy to have some sparkling water and some tea with you, my friend. So until next time, everybody, this is fostering change. Continue to be good humans. I want to say thank you to each and every one of you for listening or watching the latest episode of fostering change. All of us on our team hope that you've learned something new today and have been inspired to be a good human. Now, just a reminder that you can always find Fostering Change on your favorite channels on Google, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, and others including, of course, comfortcases.org. I want to give a big thank you to all of you for joining us each and every week. And a reminder that if you have a suggestion for a guest, or maybe you might have a question about today's podcast, or are interested in becoming a sponsor of Fostering Change, please don't hesitate to email me personally at fosteringchange at comfortcases.org. Now, that's it for now. Thanks again, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Take care.